0: Order, questions to the Prime Minister, Nick Dakin. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr. Speaker, before answering the Honourable Gentleman's question, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Kingsman David Robert Shaw of 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. He died in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital Birmingham last Wednesday as a result of wounds he sustained in Afghanistan. He gave his life for the safety of the British people and his incredibly brave contribution must never be forgotten. Our profound condolences are with his loved ones. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Nick Dakin.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House and the whole country would want to associate themselves with the Prime Minister's comments about David Robert Shaw and his family and friends at this difficult time. On Monday, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister stated that the the task for our generation was the struggle against terrorism. On Tuesday, his government sacked 5,600 troops. Why is it, is there such a gap
0: between what the Prime Minister says and what the Prime Minister does? I think the Honourable Gentleman asks an important question and I do not deny for one second that we've had to take difficult decisions about defence spending in our country but let me make this point at £33 billion a year we have the fourth largest defence budget anywhere in the world and I think it is very important that we make sure that we have the right scale and shape of armed forces and they have the right capabilities that is why in the Defence Review we're investing in drones, we're investing more in special forces, investing more in key intelligence capabilities, making sure that we also have the aircraft we need to make sure we have highly mobile armed forces. I am incredibly proud of what our armed forces do, and because we are now balancing their budget, they'll be better equipped for the future. Mr Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. 68 years ago
1: this Sunday, the Nazi concentration and extermination camp Auschwitz-Birkenau was liberated. As we mark Holocaust Memorial Day, will the Prime Minister commit to ensuring that young people in this country always have the opportunity to learn about what took place during the darkest period in our shared history? And will he commend the work of the Holocaust Educational Trust?
0: I think my honourable friend speaks for the whole house and indeed the whole country in raising this vital issue on this day and in praising the Holocaust Education Trust, an absolutely brilliant charity and organisation that makes sure that young people from schools across our country get the opportunity to go and see the places where the terrible events of the Holocaust took place. I had the immense privilege this week of meeting with a Holocaust survivor whose story was truly heroic and truly heartbreaking but who in her 90s is still making these arguments and making this case so that future generations will learn. And we should also learn not just about the European Holocaust, but what has happened more recently in Rwanda, in Bosnia, in Cambodia and elsewhere, that tragically there's far too much prejudice and persecution in our world. Ed Miliband. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker,
1: can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Kingsman David Robert Shaw of 1st Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. He showed the utmost courage and bravery, and the condolences of the whole House go to his family and friends. Mr. Speaker, can the Prime Minister guarantee that if he gets his in-out referendum, he'll be campaigning to stay in?
0: Yes, I want Britain to be part of a reformed and successful European Union. This argument, this entire argument, is about what is in the national interests of Britain. We want a European Union that is more open, more flexible, more competitive. Not just good for Britain, but good for Europe too.
1: that was quite a complete answer to my question mr. Speaker. Let's, let's see if we can let's see if we can press him a bit further about how he's going to vote is he saying is is he saying that if he doesn't achieve his negotiating strategy he will recommend uh, the part-time Chancellor can just hang on a minute is he saying is he saying is he saying if he doesn't achieve his negotiating strategy he will recommend Britain leaves the European Union. Well, first
0: of all, it's very welcome. He's accepting the premise that the Conservatives will win the next election. <laughs> and, uh, and interestingly, and interestingly, not raising the fact that the unemployment figures are down once again today. Unemployment uh, is up by 90,000 this quarter. And the rate of job growth last year was the fastest since 1989. But I answered his question very clearly. I want to see a strong Britain in a reformed Europe. We have a very clear plan. We want to reset the relationship. We will hold that referendum. We'll recommend that resettlement to the British people. But the question now is for him. Has he got a clue what he'd do?
1: The clues in the title, Prime Minister's questions, he's supposed to be answering the questions... He's had six months, he's had six months to think about this. It's not too much to ask. The right honourable member for Rushcliffe, who's not here, he would say unequivocally that he would vote yes in a referendum. The children's secretary, who's hiding away down there, uh, he has briefed, he is briefed that he wants us to leave the European Union. I'm just asking the Prime Minister a straight question. In the referendum, can he
0: guarantee that he will vote yes in an in-out referendum? Yes, I support Britain's membership of a reformed European Union. You don't... Only... Only the leader of the opposition would go into negotiations expecting to fail. We go into negotiations knowing what's best for Britain. But And then a referendum. What is his answer? Let me tell him. He's meant to lead the opposition and you can't fight something with nothing
1: yeah, Mr. Speaker, I, I say first of all, the reason the people are behind him are cheering is not because they want to vote yes in, an, in our referendum It's because they want to vote no. That is the reality for the Prime Minister. Now look, he still hasn't answered the question another way and give him another chance. We know from his speech this morning that he wants to go off and negotiate for fairness and flexibility and motherhood and apple pie in Europe. Can he, name, can he name one thing, just one thing that if he doesn't get, he'll recommend leaving the European Union? I don't want Britain to leave
0: the European Union. I want Britain to reform the European Union. We have set out the whole areas where we want Members are shouting their heads off at the Prime Minister. They must desist. Let's hear the answers. Prime Minister. We've been been very clear about what we want to see changed. There are a whole series of areas, social legislation, employment legislation, environmental legislation, where Europe has gone far too far. need to properly safeguard the single market. We also want to make sure that ever closer union doesn't apply to the United Kingdom. These are the things that we're fighting for. But let me put it to him again. We want a renegotiation and then a referendum. What does he want? Or doesn't he know? So, so Mr Speaker,
1: four hours, four hours since the big speech, he can't answer the most basic question of all for yes, whether he's for yes or whether he's for no. And, and and why can't he answer it, Mr Speaker? Why can't he say unequivocally that he'll vote yes in a referendum? Because he's frightened because of the people behind him. And the only thing that's changed since a few months ago when he said he was against an in-out referendum is not the situation in Europe, but the situation in the Tory party. Why doesn't he admit it? He's been driven to it not by the national interest,
0: but been dragged to it by his party. The most basic question of all is do you want a referendum? Yes. I do. Does he? Yes. My position is no.
1: my position is precisely the same as his position when we voted together yeah, when we voted together when we voted together in October 2011 against an in-out referendum my position hasn't changed it's his position that's changed Mr Speaker and here is the truth six months of planning a speech on a referendum he can't even tell us whether it's a yes or a no Order, I apologise.
0: I said a moment ago that members shouldn't shout their heads off at the Prime Minister. Neither should members shout their heads off at the Leader of the Opposition. They must start order. And his questions must and they will be heard. Mr Ed Miliband. Yeah. Mr Speaker,
1: he's going to put Britain through years of uncertainty and take a huge gamble with our economy. He's running scared of UKIP. He's given in
0: to his party and he can't deliver for Britain. Yeah. To say to the right hon. Gentleman, his whole argument about there being uncertainty is fatally undermined by the fact that he cannot answer whether he wants a referendum or not. Can I give him a little bit of advice? He needs to go away, get a policy, come back and tell us what it is. Meantime, our approach is what the British people want. It's right for business, it's right for our economy and we will fight for it in the years ahead. Mr. Gavin Barwell.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Around the world, 170 million people, uh, children under the age of five, are stunted, so malnourished that it has affected their physical and possibly their cognitive development. The world has enough food for everyone. As leading NGOs like Save the Children launch a major campaign against malnutrition, will the Prime Minister... Tell us what action the UK will be taking during
0: its presidency of the G8. Yeah. Yeah. Prime my, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this issue, particularly as we chair the G8 uh, this year, and because some of the leading non-governmental organisations like Save the Children have quite rightly launched this campaign today. Above all, what Britain will be doing is meeting the commitment we made to 0.7% of our gross national income spent on aid, a commitment that we've made, that we've kept, whereas many other countries have broken their and we will be using that money to make sure we focus on the issues of malnutrition, undernutrition and stunting because it is not acceptable in 2013 that there are so many millions of families in the world that go hungry every day and every night. Jack Dromey
1: Mr Speaker the British automotive industry is a world class success story 82% of the cars we produce we export. Key is inward investment and key to inward investment is continuing membership of the European Union. Has the Prime Minister heard the growing voices of concern being expressed from within the industry over the prolonged uncertainty his speech this morning will create? And does he begin to recognise the damage he might do to our economy and a sector employing hundreds of thousands of British workers?
0: Well, well, first of all, let me say that I agree with the honourable gentleman that it's very welcome that for the first time since the 1970s, Britain is once again, under this government, a net exporter of cars. That is something to celebrate. But I simply don't agree with him about what he says about business. This morning, you see, the Institute of Directors, the Director General of the CBI, the Chamber of Commerce, the, the Federation of Small Businesses, all coming out and saying this is the right approach. Let's get a good deal for Britain. Let's reform Europe and make it more open and competitive, and let's put the choice to the British people in a referendum. Yeah. Mr Duncan Haynes.
1: <laughs> Speaker, I welcome the Prime Minister's answer and support for uh, ending hunger and use of the uh, G8 leadership for that campaign. Does he recognise the importance of the root causes of hunger? The land grabs, uh, the use of land for biofuels, uh, and, the, and the need to make sure that investment in these countries is suitably transparent. Will he use the G8 to
0: seek bold action on these root causes? Yeah. I think my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this and I think because Britain is meeting its its promises in terms of the money for aid we are best placed to make the arguments about what I call the golden thread that are all the things that help move countries from poverty to wealth making sure there's a proper rule of law democratic systems, accountability, a free press property rights and we'll be making the argument in the G8 we need greater transparency about land ownership greater transparency about companies and greater transparency about tax these are all arguments that Britain will be pushing in the year ahead. Clive Efford. Can the Prime Minister confirm that his
1: is the first government for 30 years not to ho- offer hard-pressed consumers, a government-funded energy efficiency scheme following the closure of Wolffront
0: last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, no, the, the, the Eco scheme, which is many times the size of the Warmfront scheme. Warmfront helped 80,000 families a year. Eco could help up to 230,000 families a year, so it's a bigger and potentially a better scheme. Yeah. James Dudridge. Yeah.
1: What assessment has the Prime Minister made of unemployment, unemployment in my constituency? And in particular, what assessment has he made of there being more women in work than ever before? <laughs>
0: The point the honourable gentleman makes is absolutely right. There are now more people employed in the private sector than ever before and there are also more women employed in our country than ever before. And when you look at the unemployment figures that have come out today, what is remarkable is that employment is up in almost every region and unemployment is down in almost every region. There's a huge amount more to do. But clearly over 500,000 new jobs in the private sector last year, the fastest job creation rate since 1980, 19- This, I think, shows that we are on the right track. Mark Hendrick. Mr Speaker,
1: does the Prime Minister believe that it's fair that Preston City Council, one of the areas of highest deprivation and poverty in the country, should receive a 12% cut in its local government funding when his own West Oxfordshire District Council receives only a 1% cut? Will the Prime Minister look at this again and give Preston a fairer deal?
0: What I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman is, of course, local government right across the board is facing a difficult funding settlement. I don't hide from that, but the figures are as follows. The area formula grant per head in his constituency is £501, whereas in my constituency it's £320. Now... I completely accept that needs are greater in different parts of the country and that is why figures are different, but I think the figures speak for themselves. Sir Gerald Howarth, Mr. Speaker, may I congratulate my right honourable friend on a landmark speech yeah, this morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Demonstrating serious leadership of our country
0: and leadership on the important issue of Europe. But can I invite my right-on friend to agree with me on this issue that it isn't simply the United Kingdom
1: which is seeking to renegotiate the treaties. There is a serious imperative on those members of the Eurozone who have introduced this disastrous single currency policy into Europe,
0: which has caused economic chaos. They are the ones who are in need of treaty renegotiation, not just us. Yeah. I thank my right honourable friend for what he says. The point he makes it is correct that there is a big change taking place in Europe because of the reforms necessary to deal with the single currency. That is why treaty change and change in Europe is coming. There's also already a big debate in Britain about our role in Europe and I think politicians have a choice. You either walk towards that and try and shape that choice and get a good deal for Britain and make changes that will benefit all of Europe or you stick your head in the sand as the party office is doing, and hope the whole thing will go away. Mike Weir.
1: Why is it that the Prime Minister thinks that Scotland's two-year referendum process is too long, but he thinks he's five-year-old and he's just...
0: The answer, which is the Scottish nationalists, in my view, misguidedly want to leave the United Kingdom as it is. I will be arguing, and I think right across the house we'll be arguing that Scotland should stay in the United Kingdom. What I want to see in Europe is a changed Europe. Then we ask the people. Mark Pawsey.
1: Despite his busy morning, I'm sure the Prime Minister will have seen today's report from the Department of Communities and Local Government highlighting the huge savings that can be made from turning around the country's most troubled families, such as the £224 million saved by councils in Greater Manchester, equating to £32,000 per family. May I ask him what he's doing to ensure that these lessons are put to good use by local authorities across the country?
0: I I think my honourable friend is making an important point and I don't understand why people are trying to shout down what should be a cross-party initiative to try and deal with the most troubled families in our country. There is one council that actually spent up to 20% of its budget on just 3% of its families. This is a problem affecting all local authorities right across the country and I very much commend the approach that the community secretary is taking to bring together local councils and work out how we can help these these families, solve their problems and thus reduce a major impact on taxpayers as well. This is Louise Elman.
1: Thank you, Sir Speaker. The Government's welfare bill will plunge 200,000 extra children into poverty and children in places like Liverpool are already suffering. Yet the government wants to make the poor go away by redefining poverty. Does the Prime Minister really think he's going to get away with
0: this? What I'd say to the Honourable Lady is actually the introduction of universal credit is going to reduce the number of children living in relative income poverty by around 250,000. Those are the figures. But on the issue of welfare, we face a clear choice given that in-work benefits have gone up by 20% over the last five years compared with just a 10% increase in wages. We believe it's right that welfare benefits shouldn't continue to go up ahead of wages. And I know from what Labour have done this week, great sound and fury, voting against the Bill, saying it's completely wrong, but completely refusing to reverse it. That is the complete policy vacuum we face from the party opposite. Dan Rogerson.
1: Mr Speaker, given the keen interest of the Prime Minister in single markets, will he look at mortgage lenders restricting legal work to uh, a small number of of larger firms and depriving local practices of the work which keeps them at the heart of local high streets and a thriving small business economy.
0: Yeah, I think he makes a very good point, my honourable friend, and I'll look closely at this. We do want to see a competitive market in financial services and in conveyancing, and I think it's a major issue in our economy at the moment to get that mortgage market moving. There are good signs, as the Governor of the Bank of England said last night, that credit conditions are easing, but we need to make sure they are easing for people who are trying to buy their first flat and their first home who don't have a big deposit, who don't have a lot of help uh, from the bank of Mum and Dad. We need to make sure we're on their side. Mr Jack Straw. Uh, uh, Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. In answer to my honourable friend, the Member for
1: Scunthorpe, the Prime Minister justified these very large cuts in defence spending with 5,000 troops being sacked right now on the basis that he'd had to face some difficult decisions on expenditure. But those
0: decisions were made in 2010. The security risk facing this country is now much worse, as he himself has acknowledged and many of his own honourable friends fear. Given those threats, including in Sahel, is not an overwhelming case for looking again at the Strategic Defence Review and ensuring that our troops have the numbers needed to justify our defence. I think the the Right Honourable Gentleman makes a a serious point. The point about our defence reviews is they are every five years and so there will be the opportunity to look all over again. What, What I would say to him about the level of risk, and I made this point in my statement to the House on Monday, is that the risks are changing. We still face the biggest risk from the Afghanistan, Pakistan area but the proportion of the risks we face from that area has declined so we are able to use resources as we draw down in Afghanistan to cope with the other risks that we face but the overall point is absolutely that yes we are going to have a smaller uh, regular army although the extra reserves will mean that the overall level of our army hardly changes size but they will be better equipped more capable, more mobile more capable of dealing with the modern threats that we face. Mr Graham Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Can I congratulate the Prime Minister on his speech on Europe this morning?
1: Mr Speaker, this Prime Minister has a history of going in to bat for Britain and the party opposite has a history of going in and surrendering things like the rebate. But, Mr Speaker, can I ask the Prime Minister, is not the big difference between that side and this? That
0: this side trusts the people and that side wants to deny them a say? our honourable friend, I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. Frankly the British public have seen treaty after treaty introduced to this House, passing powers from Westminster to Brussels. They've seen a huge change in the European Union over the last 30 years. They see a big change taking place because of the Eurozone and that is why I think it's right to resettle our relationship with Europe and then to trust the people. Ian Thank you Mr Speaker. As with the phone hacking, blacklisting has destroyed the lives of many innocent people. And recent revelations show that the secretive, serious abuse of powers involved in blacklisting continues with the involvement of the police and the security services. Will the Prime Minister order an immediate investigation into the scandal that's ruined and continues to ruin the lives of many hard-working men, women and their families? Yeah. Well, the Honourable Member quite rightly raises the issue that I know the opposition will be raising today in the debate. And let me say, the blacklisting that occurred was a completely unacceptable practice. I think the previous government was right to bring in legislation to make it uh, unlawful. We've seen no evidence that the blacklisting regulations introduced are not doing their job, and the company responsible was shut down in 2009. But let me say this, I do welcome the openness and frankness that Labour are using in an opposition day debate to look at something that went wrong while they were in office. Mr William Cash. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh,
1: My right honourable friend insists on five excellent principles, including democracy based on national parliaments, and he rejects ever closer union. Other member states want to go ahead with more integration and are demanding it. Last year, on the fiscal compact, they ignored his veto and went ahead irrespective of the rules of the European Union. Will my Right Honourable phone tell us what will happen if by next spring they insist on going ahead with their own intended proposals and what will he do in response?
0: First of all, can I thank my Honourable Friend for what what he says. I believe what is going to happen is that the Eurozone countries do need to make changes to the European Union, as I put in my speech this morning, they are changing the Union to fix the currency. That is what President Barroso's report is about, that is what the Four Presidents' Report is about, and it poses quite wide-ranging treaty change. I think this frankly gives us the opportunity and the right to argue that for those countries that are not in the Eurozone, and frankly I believe are never going to join the Eurozone, that there are changes that we would like, not just for ourselves, but for a more open, competitive and flexible Europe. So there is going to be change in Europe. The Eurozone countries do need to make changes, but we should not back off from pushing forward our agenda as well. Dennis Skinner! (laughs) Is uh, Is the Prime Minister
1: aware that there can be nothing more gruesome than to see him heading out of austerity-riddled Britain to wine and dine at Davos with 50 top bankers who helped to create the economic crisis.
0: seem to remember last year I ran into the Leader of the Opposition, but uh, we'll <laughs> leave that to one side. I, to be fair to the Honourable Gentleman, I think when he sees the speech that I'm going to be making in Davos, which will be arguing we need greater transparency over tax, we need greater responsibility over the tax uh, avoidance and tax evasion issues, we need greater transparency about companies and about the land issue we were speaking about earlier, he may even find there are some of the things that I'm going to say that he might agree with. <laughs>
1: Is to cut through the irrelevant arguments coming from the other side of the House and give the very simple message to the British people that if we have a Conservative government after the next election, they will have their say in a referendum on Europe. If we don't have a Conservative government, we won't have a referendum
0: makes a good point. I believe it's right to resettle our relationship with Europe, to make it more open more competitive, more flexible to make us feel more comfortable inside that union and then to give the British people the in-out referendum they deserve. Julie
1: Hilling Thank you Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that 3.4 million families with someone who's disabled will be worse off as a result of his benefit uprating cap. Why is he making life more difficult for these families?
0: Well, well, first of all, I'd say to the Honourable Lady, Disability Living Allowance is not included in the cap, and Disability Living Allowance is not related to people's income, it is actually related to people's needs. If you look as a whole at what we're doing with Disability Living Allowance and the PIP payment, overall, the amount of money we're spending on disability is is going to go up and not down. Sir Mingus Campbell, my right honourable friend, my right honourable friend's admiration for the economic and political wisdom of our noble friend Lord Heseltine is well known. In the light of his speech this morning, will he consider
1: inviting Lord Heseltine to conduct an inquiry into the consequences for the United
0: Kingdom if we leave the European Union? <laughs> I, um, I, I always. I, Listen closely to what Michael Heseltine says, and I'm a huge fan of his uh, plans for an industrial strategy. On the issue of Europe, we haven't always agreed. He was a leading proponent of Britain joining the single currency, and I've always been opposed to that. On the issue of the referendum, I gently remind my right hand friend, it was an in-out referendum, was very much part of his manifesto at the last election. But... Um, of Kernish and Harmony, I think we'll leave that to one side. Yeah. <laughs> Speaker Davies.
1: Mr Speaker, a Swansea constituent of mine with a chronic medical condition tells me that he has just £20 a week to spend on food and clothing after paying his utility bills, and that after April, after the welfare cuts in April, he'll just have £2 a day. If the Prime Minister believes that we're all in it together... Uh, Will he agree to review the impact on the very poorest of the welfare cuts so that my constituent's uh, sacrifices are in line with his own?
0: Well, I look very closely at what the Honourable Gentleman says uh, and the circumstances but let me, just, let me just make the point if you compare 2013 with 2010 in terms of the level of key benefits it is worth, worth making this point an unemployed person on Job Seeker's Allowance is getting £325 more this year than in 2010 a couple on Job Seeker's Allowance £500 more a single out-of-work mother £420 more so what the opposition try and do week after a week is somehow uh, but let's paint a picture that we have unfairly cut welfare is simply not true Mr. Or, or Order, Mr. Richard Fuller Thank you uh, Mr. Speaker Health inequalities in the
1: country are persistent and damaging and recently the Department of Health announced a 5.5% increase in their allocations to local authorities for their public health responsibilities and a 10% increase for Bedford and Kempston. Does the Prime Minister agree that these funds, locally directed, will go a long way to help tackling long-term health inequalities?
0: I think my honourable friend makes uh, an important point. I think for for many, many years, public health budgets were raided uh, in order to deal with issues and problems in the NHS. Because we put in place uh, an increase in the NHS budget and we've also ring-fenced some of these public health budgets, we are able to make sure that we tackle some of the real problems, smoking, uh, diabetes, other issues that are going to put enormous pressures on our health service in the long run. Robert Flello, Thank you, Mr Speaker.
1: We've heard that the House has heard that the Prime Minister is looking forward to meeting people from national and international banks in the next few days. When will he visit a food bank?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, let me once again praise what food banks do in our country and let me point out to the right on, let me point out to the Honourable Member that the use of food banks increased ten times under the last Labour Government. Mr Raymond Chishti. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: Will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to all the athletes who took part in the British Transplant Games called in my constituency? Linked to that, will the Prime Minister encourage people to register for organ donation, which will help
0: save lives? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I certainly pay tribute to all those who took part in the British Transplant Games and to the many volunteers who made these games such a success and I think that Gillingham did a fantastic job in hosting the games and he's quite right to raise this issue. They are a testament to the benefits of transplantation and I would encourage people to do as he says. Ellen
1: Jones. 77 of Warrington's young people with the most complex special needs face being without places next year because of government cuts to post-16 high-needs funding. Why should the most vulnerable young people in my constituency pay the price for his economic failure?
0: First of all, let me make the point to the Honourable Lady that the reason we're having to make cuts is because of the mess left by her government make the difficult decisions that we have had to make in government. But I would argue that when it comes to helping the disabled, when it comes to helping the most vulnerable, this government has always looked after them. Last but not least, Crispin Blunt. Pitt the youngest said that Europe was not to be saved by any single man and then correctly went on to predict that England would save Europe by
1: her example. And,
0: uh, my Honour, right hon. Friend be aware um, that I believe he's in danger of contradicting Pitt because his example today and his exertions over the next four years stand the best possible chance of rescuing the European Union for both Europe and Britain. Yeah friend for what he says. He makes an important point which is the agenda that Britain has is not an agenda of simply saying this is what Britain wants and if we don't get it we will leave. It's an agenda that is good for the whole of the European Union. We face a massive competitiveness challenge from the rising countries of the South and the East. We have to accept that Europe at the moment isn't working properly. It's adding to business costs. It's adding to regulation. We need to change that not just for our sake but for right across the European Union. Order.